Welcome to the Leadership Mindset Podcast with me, Tony Brooks, where we look to revolutionize your leadership mindset by changing how you think and see your world, enabling you to do the right things and grow significantly as a leader. I am very pleased today to have with me Charlie Wyman. Uh, interestingly, before I say anything about Charlie, she's been my marketing coach one-to-one for around about nine months. And we've known each other for about two or three years before that. And we I did LinkedIn training with you. I've joined your curious B2B marketing club. So uh, I know Charlie very well. And you're going to really enjoy getting to know her as well on the uh, the podcast episode today. So I've, uh, she's actually, just to give her a bit of background, she has sold olive oil from Sardinia, laser scanners at the bottom of gold mines and drones to commercial ships. Uh, So she definitely knows what marketing works and what doesn't. And I've been finding that out on my journey with her as well. As I said, she runs the Curious B2B Marketing Club as well, which I've been a member of for a couple of years now. And curiosity in particular and creativity are two very important words for Charlie. So welcome, Charlie. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, an honour to be here. (laughs) An honour. It's an honour to have you here. So let's let's start off actually um, with just a, a conversation. This is called the Leadership Mindset Podcast Series. So we are going to talk in curiosity and creativity, but it's interesting to explore your journey and, and I guess some of the challenges you've had along the way and what have you. But yeah, so what's been your journey to where you are now then, Charlie? Just a, a bit of a potted history of, of where you've been and how you got to where you are now. Uh, it's definitely been a journey of curiosity and following that curiosity so I started out by studying engineering um electrical and electronic uh then I realized I uh don't really fit the qualities of an engineer um I'm very much more of a strategist I love coming up with uh you know solutions to problems and then kind of like letting other people you know go go for it and I think there were a few things that came up when I was at university and I was learning more by working at the in the entertainment department uh you know sort of looking getting the comedy club set up and you know managing all the gigs and the events and promoting events and I guess I'd always done marketing but just never realized that I'd done marketing so I um moved to Sardinia in 2006 uh, to help my dad renovate a property but then got curious about olive oil because he had a lot of olive trees. And I thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I could make some of this oil, which then turned into a business, got some awards from it. Uh, It was a lot of fun to do, but then I kind of wanted a little bit more because I think I was 20 at the time. Came back to the UK. I worked in public sector for two years, looking at innovation grant funding and uh, sort of managing projects. Um, and then one of my project managers basically said, oh, my husband's company really needs somebody to help them out with their marketing. You do marketing. And I was like, well, no, we don't. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was quite funny. And I was like, I really rejected that. I was like, no, I don't do marketing. What are you talking about? Um, and she basically said, go and talk to him. They really need some help. And, you know, my job was going to be made redundant at some point. So I thought I've got nothing to lose by going and having that conversation, um, which led to me getting the job as a marketing executive assistant which was brilliant actually I was there for six years and uh, when I left I was the global head of sales and marketing and part of the leadership team um, and was involved in sort of setting up um, offices in sort of four additional countries around the world uh, and doing lots of really exciting things before then moving on um, when the time came about to another company as head of marketing, again, sitting on the leadership team, working closely with the CEO and the other leaders to uh, bring the company's vision to life before then realizing, you know what, actually, I feel like I'm ready to, you know, sort of go out on my own and, and set up my own marketing consultancy, um, which, yeah, was nearly five years ago. And yeah, that yeah. kind of brings me brings me here today. <laughs> Yeah, and there's been an amazing amount happen uh, since then. I was chatting with Charlie before we started started the podcast interview. And if you watch Charlie on LinkedIn, just watching what she's up to is exhausting, let alone living it. So she's, I think you're now on to doing, you're going to do a triathlon? Uh, Yes, potentially. (laughs) (laughs) With a a hint of caution there or 
I think it's an interesting lead. I mean, we could probably talk for an hour about um, the the question of my decision to do this triathlon and some of the questions that it's opened up because it very much applies to uh, leaders and making some of the tough decisions, uh, especially saying no to certain things, even though you thought they were a good idea at the time. So, um, yeah, at the moment, I don't know if you're listening to this podcast, whether or not this triathlon will happen. Um, but it certainly opened up some quite tough questions I need to be asking myself. Um, so yes, I've entered it. <laughs> yeah, yes, and then. the, uh, the, the stubborn dog headed person in me says that I will do it. Uh, but the, the sort of, I guess the, the leader in me, cause I'm the leader of my own life is sort of saying, actually, you know, let's, let's consider alternative options. To achieve whatever it is that you want to achieve or challenge yourself in, in the way that you want to challenge yourself, I guess. Exactly. I think the, the goal, uh, the goal of the triathlon was the wrong goal. Okay. That. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. As you say, we could probably explore that. <laughs> but we'll see what happens with the triathlon over the next uh, few months. And if people listen to this podcast episode in the future, uh, then I guess check you out on LinkedIn and see whether there's a mention of having completed a triathlon or triathlon or not really. But, uh, <laughs> I know you're, you're like you're a super keen cyclist, aren't you? So you're always mm-hmm. out um, doing sort of long cycle uh, rides and what have you. And so I know you're a really keen cyclist. So yeah, you started to touch on the curiosity bit, but um, how would you say that curiosity and creativity have played a big part in your journey and, and moving into those positions and then ending up with your own, consultancy the last five years then i think over the years it's getting better at channeling my curiosity to so that i'm more intentional and actually getting results from it rather than just using my curiosity to go down lots of different rabbit holes and getting distracted so i think there is definitely a fine balance between how you approach uh, a curious thinking life Uh, but for me it's worked out really really well but if I think back to when I first started, especially working with teams um, and then going on to managing teams, like I was a dreadful manager. I was, a, you know, leadership wasn't part of my vocabulary back then. I was, I was awful. And then I was um, actually, I was hit by a car while cycling home from work, which stopped me rowing. I was rowing at the time. Yeah, and uh, that prompted me to then do a rowing coaching qualification because I couldn't row because I'd hurt my back. Um, I could coach. So I started this coaching qualification. And for me, that was transformative because it allowed me to start channeling that curiosity into some of the questions that you're asking the people that you're working with. And, you know, understanding that it's not just about asking more questions it's about asking the right questions and then helping other people ask the right questions to make better decisions and to help you move forward so there's a lot I learned from the sports world that that I I then took into business Um, and then definitely for me that was a difference from going from a really terrible manager um, that I was just good at the doing and then kind of funneled into that role at the time to then actually I started to lead people and lead teams and leadership was a much bigger part of what I was doing at the time. Yeah, and, I, and interesting to hear you say a couple of things. And, you know, having obviously worked with you as well, uh, I guess it's, you know, asking the right questions of people to empower them, really. Uh, and you often ask me some fairly uh, interesting and ch- challenging questions that, that sometimes get a bit of a pause before I come back with a response. And also interesting when, when you talked about channeling you, the curiosity as well, because I, I guess the, the, the danger is for leaders, for business owners, is you can have a multitude of ideas that come from being curious, but it's which are the ones that are in line with the goals that you want to achieve. You know, when you and I talk about ideas for my business, uh, it's often about coming back to what's the, you won't use the word intention, but what, you know, what's the intention? Um, and and is, is that in line with it? So I, I like that. I think it's curiosity and creativity can really open us up and asking good questions can open us up, but then you've got to funnel that and make sure that it's focused, I guess, um, in, in terms of where it's going as well. And it sounds like you've got a, a lot better at that over the years then, Charlie. Oh, definitely. Um, and I, I'd even go as so far to say I was really, really bad at it to start with. I mean, I I was that kid at school that, you know, I went, I didn't go to a supportive school. So I was told off for asking too many questions. So I like to be able to understand 
why I'm being asked to do something or understand how to apply um, what it is that I'm doing. And, uh, you know, one of the one of the things that I love about working with you, Tony, is the fact that I think we both are just as geeky as one another about the the science behind um, sort of the way that we think, the way that we behave, you know, sort of like diving into the neuroscience and the psychology around it. And I think for me, pursuing my curiosity, so I've always been curious about how people behave and what motivates people. And the more I've pursued that, that side of things, the more I've learned that, you know, it is all about motivation. So the more you can understand what motivates somebody and the more you can understand about like their typical types of behavior, um, the, the more effective you can be uh, either with responding to that, with leading that um, or with, uh, you know, even marketing or selling to that. Um, and I, you know, I used to think, that I wasn't a marketer or that, you know, you know, we've spoken about survival psychology quite a lot and the, the things that hold us back. One thing that I've always struggled with is the fact that I don't actually have any formal qualifications in marketing. I've never done a marketing uh, degree. I haven't done any of the sort of uh, what a lot of people consider to be the kind of rites of passage in marketing. But what I have done is I've invested a huge amount of money and time in uh, learning about applied behavioral psychology, uh, neuroscience, um, a lot of looking into what customers do, how they behave, what motivates them, what questions they're asking, really sort of like me being curious about what's what they're curious about, and then using that insight into the marketing. And as a result, it's it's given me, uh, well, it's really helped me advance my own career, but also deliver really quite spectacular results for the companies that I've worked with and for over the years. Um, so I think, yeah, for me, it's all, it's all about asking great questions, but it's, it's not so much about asking the questions. It's like, right, okay, well, what do you do with that information that you're then presented with? How are you using that and empowering, um, the, the person or the people that you're working with, uh, to also be able to make good decisions from it as well? Yeah. And a few points that you made there. Interesting, really. I mean, first of all, I'm going to give a plug to, um, Dr. Linda Shaw because you did her neuroscience training and recommended it to me and then I did it. And yeah. Linda is one of the podcast interviews. So if anybody's listening to this wants to find out more from the neuroscience angle, then you can go back to that episode. Um, and you, you touched on the word why, which I think is such a critical word, actually. In fact, when we were chatting before this and you were talking about doing the triathlon, I, I just said, why, Charlie? <laughs> um, and I won't go into that one now, but that, that why word's really fascinating. I mean, I think why do businesses do what they do? You know, that whole why, the why question leads to purpose and what's the purpose of a business. And I think a lot of the time when people are, if, if we talk about leaders as well, I think when leaders ask people to do things, they've got a greater chance of motivating them to do it if the person on the other end understands the why and the meaning behind doing things as well. Um, so, yeah, that that's all fascinating. And, and you talking as well about the lack of formal qualifications. Uh, I, I think people get can trip themselves up with that because I, I just don't see that having any importance for you in terms of the work you do, you know, from, from working with you as well, um, that that lack of formal qualification has, has no impact for me. Like, I don't see that as anything that impacts your performance in terms of what you do any, anymore. I mean, if anything, you're a very pragmatic person, a practical person, and I think most people want that. You know, they don't – I can get – I you know me, I can – when I start talking psychology, I can delve into the theory too much – and talk about stuff that's probably not that relevant to the business audience, um, something I need to rein in continuously. Uh, so actually, if, if anything, not having the formal qualifications in marketing might help you more in the way that you interact with people and understand people. And as you say, you put a lot, a lot more investment into understanding people um, and behaviour and what have you than you have into the sort of formal marketing qualification route, haven't you? And that's probably been more value yeah and I think it's interesting um you know that you said it it didn't matter to you it doesn't it's never come up as a requirement (laughs) like it like not once uh but I know that you know I was I was waxing lyrical about the the talk that you did a talk in the curious marketing club around um imposter syndrome because this had come up quite a lot 
um, for a lot of our members. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a big point of conversation at the moment. And then you did another talk recently as well, which was around survival psychology and, and negative self-talk. And I think it's, it's interesting that it's only me based on things that people have said to me in the past that have made me think I need these qualifications or in order to uh, move forward in a certain way that, that you need that. Um, but when I actually have a look, again, it's that following your curiosity. Um, we make assumptions every day, you know, as leaders, as, you know, in our marketing, with our customers, in sales, even with ourselves, we make all of these assumptions. But when you, again, you channel your curiosity and you actually say, right, okay, well, how can I back up that assumption? Is that actually true? Is this something I believe to be true or something I know to be true? So I believe that I need formal marketing qualifications in order to be considered a, uh, a proper marketer, or rather that's what I used to, used to believe. Well, actually what I know is it doesn't make a difference. When I um, went for, um, so when I left my role as global head of sales and marketing and went to head of marketing, that job specification said I needed a degree um, in marketing and I needed, I, I can't remember how many years experience uh, in, as a marketing director at the time. And I remember reading the jobs back and thinking, I can do this job. I don't meet this criteria though, but that didn't actually stop me from going for it anyway, because I was like, you know what, I can, I can do it. This sounds really interesting to me, but actually my background in engineering and understanding the tech, because I typically work with technical businesses and businesses in more complex industries, it really helps me connect the dots and also yeah, yeah. give an external perspective to say, right, okay, well, actually you're talking about something you know really, really well, but your clients don't need to know it in that level of detail or your clients aren't necessarily interested in in what you're talking about either right now or you just need to say it in a different way. And I think that external perspective, again, has, has really helped me. Yeah. So fo- focus on the things that you're really good at. <laughs> focus on the, you know, the insight that you do bring and uh, work with that rather than things that you can't. Yeah, um, that's, that's fascinating because I think, um, you, you know, you touched on imposter syndrome. You know, I'm a, not a great fan of the term. I, I've used the term imposter mo- moments. I actually like survival moments now because we all have moments where we're gripped by a survival thinking. And that can lead us to a place of, of feeling not good enough in all sorts of ways. Like, you know, we th- feel like we're flawed in some way or not good enough for whatever it is. And, and, and I think that lead, that qualification one is an interesting one because I did a degree in psychology. Then I did the master's. Part of that was interest, but part of it was positioning. I want to be able to say I've got a master's. But then where'd you go after that? Then somebody said to me, why don't you do a PhD? Um, And then I had to ask myself the question, why? And it had been fairly painful trying to do a master's alongside running a business. And I thought, I don't need to do that. And if anything, actually, being quite honest, I've learned way more from the reading and experiences I've had outside of the master's than I did from the master's. So in terms of what I think I bring to the table, like you in a way, the, the qualification doesn't add a huge amount of value, practical value. So it's good for a, it is good for a positioning thing. But that ego thing, that thing that says we're not good enough will say you need a PhD and then maybe you need something else and you need an accolade and you need an award and you need this. And, and the ego and whatever will continually say you're not good enough. Uh, you, you know, you need to drive yourself harder. So great actually for you to hear you saying that. And for there'll be other people listening to this who've got into positions. They may be owning a business and think I've got no qualification to run a business. A lot of people will doubt themselves from that, but they've probably got a a hell of a lot of amazing experience um, and and intelligence uh, that, you know, they bring to the table in the way they do that as, as with you, you know? And um, so, yeah, interesting to hear you talk about it in that way. I think it's um, the, the, the training side of things is is interesting because I was, um, so I, I've developed this five-step process called Otter. So I talk about Otters quite a lot, uh, mainly in the context of marketing because it helps you get more sales from your marketing and you know reduce the overwhelm that can commonly come with marketing and all of that stuff. But you can use it in lots of different areas as well. But I think you know the the O and the Otter is all about setting clear objectives so you know what you're working towards. Um, and I always sort of say to um, you know people looking at a marketing strategy and a marketing plan is that that your marketing objectives need to be in line with your business objectives. Um, and then, you know, I've, I've worked with companies that don't have clear business objectives, uh, which make it then really difficult for the marketing yeah. team to uh, to be aligned. So, 
you know, a lot of the work that I have done in the past as well, which is, is, is aligning the sales and marketing and customer service function and like kind of bringing that, that together because it's all about the attitude of the leaders in the business and about how they think of it. So for me, it's not just about the why, but it's also about the what next or what is that enabling us to do? Yeah. Um, and then again, it's that like curious piece, which is, okay, so if we say yes to this opportunity, what do we then have to say no to? Yeah, you've, uh, you've said that to me uh, on a number of occasions, which is, and I turned down one opportunity or one route I could have pursued. And you helped me because you said, you know, what would that um what what else would you be sacrificing if you you didn't do that for example yeah we did that sorry yeah yeah I mean I was working with a client literally uh, earlier today and they were saying that you know they they find it really really difficult so the the client was a marketing manager so a solo marketing manager working for a business and they were saying that they find it really really difficult to stick to any particular plan from marketing because the business changes based on the type of customers that they take on at any one point so one thing that I did learn um, early on in my career during um, I did a, a program from the Chamber of Commerce, which was a director development program, which was actually um, a, a brilliant, uh, probably I'd say one of the best uh, training programs that I've, I've been on over the years. And um, it there was a module and it, it was focused around that kind of like empowering you to say no and then to be able to ask really good questions from a leadership point of view. Um, and one thing came up, which was it's okay to say no to customers and it's okay to uh, sack customers. <laughs> now, I grew up like my dad had a local business. So I grew up around business. My mum my also had a local business, which um, unfortunately was broken into five or six times and eventually went, went bankrupt. But um, I think watching both of my parents independently go through all of those challenges of having a small business, of doing it all themselves, of you know going through those challenges, seeing those opportunities, the good and the bad and, and the mistakes, I think it definitely set me up for, uh, or rather it gave me a really good foundation of some of the questions to ask or to help me understand how to avoid some of those mistakes uh, and then navigate through that as well. Um, so because they were both service-based companies and they were both business to, well, my dad's business was both B2B and B2C. My mum's was very much B2C. Is that like, you know, you grow up with that customer is king, yep. <laughs> you know, like the thought of ever saying no to a customer for me was a completely alien concept. Whereas the thing that came up in that was actually, well, yes, your customer might ask you for this new feature to be implemented or yes, your customer might ask you to um, adapt the the product to suit their exacting needs. But then what does that mean you have to say no to? And also what is the overall cost of that rather than, I think sometimes we can get blinkered by saying, okay, well, we, um, you know, we're, we're so busy and we're so frantic and we need to meet our targets or we need to get this much business in. So we'll accept everything. Yeah. Whereas actually giving yourself the space to take a step back and say, well, why are we accepting this? Or like, you know, can, can we ask the customer different questions? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, how can we reframe that in some way? So I think it's that like, you know, um, and, and I think for me, that's like learning how to be a coach yourself. And I think you've said this a few times as well. It's like, you know, t- coaching yourself is such a valuable skill to learn because you can just remove yourself from that, that situation and just sort of say, right, why am I doing this? What is this leading to? Um, like who else is involved, what are the expectations and like being quite strategic in those questions can help you make much better decisions that are in the best interest of the company. Yeah. Yeah. I think coaching skills, both in terms of self-coaching and coaching in a, in a broader sense uh, are great because I guess that opens up an element of curiosity in, in you know, with regards to other people and can facilitate more creative thinking. I think for me, you know, I think creativity often need space and in the day-to-day cut and thrust of things and like you were saying that sort of path to take take more customers take more customers we need to grow rather than saying the customer isn't necessarily always king um and we don't need to take on all these customers and you say actually be good for us to remove some customers that that feels must be giving some people on this listening to this the jitters really but yeah, <laughs> yeah i mean it's, it's one of those that you know you don't want to go into the office tomorrow and say right okay we're just gonna you know call our customers that aren't making us happy <laughs> and stuff um but again it's like looking into the data like you know I'm a geek at heart. I'm a total nerd. You know, I, I, I love data and I love data driven decisions. But at the same time, I think you, you've also got 
a lot of people shoot me down saying this is like you've also got to choose you, you follow your gut your gut instinct um and you know there's a lot of science and a lot of research that talks about the fact that you know we've got two brains uh, you know and that our gut does involve um a lot of you know a lot of our emotions and the way that, that we we've actually we've actually got three because we've got a neurological system in the heart as well Ah, there you go. Not not as developed or sophisticated as the gut, but uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> as an aside, we could uh, go off on another tangent. So I was going to say, I was like, right, how long have you got? Let's uh, let's let's pick this apart. But um, I think yeah, it's um, it, it's not just looking at the data, but it's also using your gut. But understanding what are those beliefs that you hold versus what do you actually know. Um, I remember doing an audit of our customer base uh, quite a few years ago and we were having a look at, right, okay, well, actually our biggest paying customers were not actually our most profitable customers. And when we really started to sort of like look under the hood of what was going on, um, they were consuming a lot more time from the developers. They were choosing, consuming a lot more time from the uh, sort of like the engineers, uh, the sales team. So yes, the revenue was really positive, but the profit wasn't. Um, and then we sort of, again, started making more strategic decisions about, okay, so how do we focus our marketing energies to um, attract the right type of customers? Um, and looking as well, you know, everybody talks about client profiles um, by personas and things like that as well. And then in, in, in my mind, again, just scratches the, the surface of it, you know, and I, I think I did do one like little training course on customer profiling and I was like, right, okay, yeah, fair enough. We, we know Bob from, you know, the, the business down the road, you know, he's the 10 people working in the company. They're turning over half a million a year. They want to turn over three million a year. You know, he likes to play golf at the weekends and do, you know, he's, he's got two kids and a mortgage and all that stuff. Yeah, fine. You know, these are, these are things that you do need to know. But for me, it's okay. So what is his attitude like, you know, because based on, especially in B2B marketing, when you start looking at the people that you're trying to sell to, if they have a more positive, open mindset, they're much easier to sell to. And it, it depends on what, obviously it depends on what it is that you're trying to, uh, trying to sell anyway. But, you, you know, it's that like just asking more questions. So it's not, you're not just following a particular script that, you know, somebody learned at university 20 years ago. It's, you know, right, what are their behaviors? What's their motivations? What's important to them? Uh, you know, how do they want to be spending their time? Uh, you know, like, what are their best customers and why? Why do they like working with them? Um, because it's not just about how much money they're bringing in. It's about how fun they are to work with, what they contribute to the company, as well as what you're contributing to them and other things. So for me, it's that like curiosity is a foundation and it is a superpower that we have if we can channel it in the right direction yeah i was i was going to actually ask you about um i guess how leaders can tap into their curiosity and creativity more and you started to talk about that really about asking more questions really and um and being curious and not just i guess uh, accepting things and not just going for uh, the first obvious answer to that um but but actually probing more i guess and and, and asking more questions and what, what what else would you add to that, Charlie, in terms of how leaders can be more curious, creativity and, and why you think that's so important? Then? Uh, so there's a few things on that, um, which I, I, I mean, I would love to share uh, with your listeners uh, and, and you as well, because I think there are things that have worked for me, things that I've observed and things that I still do today. Um, one of them is to remove yourself <laughs> from uh, the standard environment uh, that you're in. So, um, and then that kind of comes up with the, the second point is to schedule time to review and reflect on the the work and the behaviors that you're doing, um, which is the R in, in my auto framework. And I, um, when I joined uh, the company that sold to the commercial shipping industry, that for me was a game changer because I'd gone through a lot of change management in the previous company. Um, it was very much a small company that had grown rapidly, um, very much in that kind of fight in fire sort of thing. You know, we tried to work with management consultants. Some of them had worked, some of them hadn't. There were some good things to take from it. 
but when I joined this other company, they were so structured in their approach to uh, reviewing and reflecting. So everything was done in 12 week sprints, which, as you know, Tony, like 12, is, yeah. Yeah, is how I like to work. Um, everything was done in 12 week sprints. Everything was scheduled. So there was a daily 15 minute daily stand up for the leadership team. There was um, a longer weekly meeting, an even longer monthly meeting and a quarterly full day. So every month um, was at least half a day. Uh, and we would go somewhere different. Every quarter was at least a full day and we would go somewhere different. And then uh, the th- we took three days out, actually, because we wanted to break through a, a glass ceiling that we'd reached. Uh, and we got uh, we recruited a um, an external third party that came and challenged our thinking. Um, and for me, that was absolutely I mean, I'd only been part of the company at that point for three months. <laughs> so it was, it, again, transformative just to see how all of that that worked together but to have somebody with an external perspective to come in and sometimes challenge your thinking adds so much value and I've done that for uh, some of the marketing campaigns that I've worked on when I've been working in-house for the company and also when I've been working with companies as consultants is that you know again an external perspective can add so much more value because you pick up on things that you hadn't necessarily considered because you've got the blinkers on and you're sort of so so deep into it. And, and oh. interestingly enough, you know, as well, I was talking about this on a talk I was doing today with somebody that an external perspective can often stand back from the emotion of it as well. Yeah. You know, I think business leaders, uh, business people can get emotionally involved in things and an external perspective would often be able to stand back from that and potentially be more rational and then allow um, the people to be more rational as well. And I think it brings out a bit of creativity, too. And, you know, going back onto the environment side of things, um, one of the the quotes I love, don't know where it came from, certainly not mine, is that uh, environment dictates success. And I think, you know, I'm sure it's different now in a post-COVID world uh, where we're sort of still in that kind of like weird hybrid space where we don't really know what the future holds or what we're going to kind of stick to. But um Removing yourself from the office that you spend the most time with can make you think more creatively uh, just by that simple act of, of doing it. Um, the other thing that worked really well, I used to have um, meetings with other members of the leadership team. But instead of just getting in an office, sitting around a table, we used to have walking meetings. Yeah, 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 I've heard of this. Um, and I even do that today with uh, some some clients. Um, if I'm having some sales calls or if I'm just speaking to people, like just say, you know, can we have it as a walking meeting? And I'll just put my AirPods in and go for a walk and have that meeting whilst I'm outside. Uh, because again, I think that environment just promotes a more, um, I don't know, creative way of thinking. Yeah, well, you, you, you'll remember for sure from, uh, I'm going to mention Linda again. If she's, <laughs> yeah. if she's listening to this, she'll like, in fact, she's got two mentions. <laughs> but all that stuff about brain frequency, which was new to me last year, really, um and linda spoke about the fact that you know we need to tap into that um alpha frequency where we slow our brains down more and that can be meditating i saw linda do a post on meditation today funnily enough meditation when you first wake in the morning having a shower for me going for a swim for you walking maybe cycling all of those moments and times that we spend where our brain can be slowed down and then we are allegedly uh, more able to think creatively uh, because when we're at the, the faster frequencies, it's very wrapped up in the thing that you're doing rather than creating yourself some, like you talk about environment, creating yourself some physical space, but some psychological space as well to be more creative, I guess, Charlie. Yeah, because I think you just like when you're in the office or like, I think especially in a small business where you're so emotionally invested in the outcomes and the future and and what it is that you're doing and you you know like things can get a bit overwhelming sometimes that overwhelm can creep up on you and then turn into other things and it can affect your behavior um so I think you know as well having that self-awareness to say right okay if somebody's behaving in a slightly different way in the workplace, whether it's somebody you manage, somebody um, you you know that appear, somebody that's on a leadership team meeting, somebody external, you know, if their behaviour is a little bit odd, rather than just sort of go on the defensive, which I mean, especially used to be my go-to, <laughs> like like all oh, right, what's going on? Um, yeah. It starts to think, okay, well, what is going on in their world? You know, do we need to take a step back and a, have a breather? Do you know you need to sort of say, are you okay? Um, 
because we're all human at the end of the day. And I think sometimes when we get so busy and so caught up with everything, it can be difficult to remember that and not consider that, you know, there are other things that are going on that are affecting our behavior. And, you know, is that like, again, for in a leadership context and also in a um, sporting context, I used to think the whole term, you know, you've got to slow down to speed up. And the importance of rest was just something that people pay lip service to. And it's a bit woo-woo and a bit daft. And, you know, like everybody keeps talking about mindfulness and, you know, used to think it was just something for hippies and people that had too much time on their hands. And, <laughs> you know, as I've got older, um, the more I've thought about it. And again, it's that like, I've never really focused too much curiosity on to that particular topic because I've been a little bit cynical in my attitude towards it. Um, but the more I've opened my mind up, the more I've realized actually it is probably one of the best things that you can do. Um, you know, when you're, I used to get ill quite a lot when I was training um, in rowing because I was overtraining. Okay. Uh, I find that when I'm cycling now, if I, you know, sometimes have a week off or if, you know, I have to take a few days off because I've got my young son at home with me and, and no support. Actually, it, it's more advantageous. It's not detrimental because I've given my body that time to rest and I've not been going full steam ahead all the time. Um, and that also the other thing that is probably more of a recent realization for me, because I'm terrible at meditating. You know, I enjoy yoga from a physical challenge point of view because I'm a bit pants at it. Maybe, um, maybe try Tai Chi. I found that easy. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I like <that> anyway. <laughs> maybe, but I think it's that like, you know, just because everybody talks about mindfulness and you see a lot of stuff from people that are going, all right, yeah, yoga, you've just got to be able to kind of uh, calm your brain and uh, you've got to sit there and breathing and all this stuff. And I was like, oh God, like I was useless at it. Then I used to give myself a hard time because I was like, well, it's working for all these people. Why is it not working <laughs> for me? Whereas for me, going on a bike ride and just not giving myself any pressure to cycle at a certain speed, a certain cadence or complete the route in a certain time and just be at one and just focus on the cadence of like the, the, you know, the, the rotations of the pedals and um, just focus on the environment around me. Uh, that for me is my best form of meditation. And actually I now use cycling as a way to prepare for um, presentations and talks and big pictures and things like that, because it calms my mind. It slows me down and it gives me a very beautiful environment to run through my talk and organize my thoughts um so that is my form of meditation yeah no i get that i, I find yeah. the same with i don't cycle but um i find swimming or exercise generally but, but swimming i i i uh, i'm fully if i went for a swim lunch time today and i knew it was getting a bit of a stressy morning uh, and i knew I'd, it, it, part of me thought have i really got the time to go for a swim but i know it's really good for me and it's um sometimes it's making sure you uh, keep clinging on to those life boys that, that are good for you isn't it as, as yeah. you go along really that, and I think the self-care I think it's like you know because as we learned in Linda's course you know sleep is you know every, everybody says sleep's so important but actually when you dive into the science sleep is like probably the most important thing you could ever focus on um it's I think for me it's like having an attitude and I think as you talk about growth mindset it's like having an attitude to uh, look at incremental improvements to the way that you're doing things, but yep. also that working on your attitude, your mindset, the rest, the behavior is just as, if not more important than anything else that you will do. And that slowing down to speed up can be the best thing that you need. Yeah, slowing down to speed up. I like that one. I'm going to, I'll make a note of that. That's going to be a good <laughs> I'm going to actually play that back to you sometimes when I do feel my God, Charlie. <laughs> Charlie, you complete <laughs> lunatic. It's like you went for a relaxing swim this morning. I went for a very unpleasant swim in a pond last night. So. I heard about that one. Yeah, I'm thinking of doing an open water swim. I'm not so sure after hearing your experiences, but there you go. Well, people okay. love it. But I think, again, it's like what works for some people yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah. have to work for you. Yeah, exactly. And I think you've tapped into a few things there with sort of meditation, what have you. We need to be driven less by shoulds. And what you know what do you enjoy really um i was thinking about that only this morning should should need to be removed from our vocabulary (laughs) yeah 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 absolutely you know in the last sort of four or five minutes just just to finish i wanted to ask you uh, you've been talking about a few things actually charlie but 
Um, it's been such an amazing journey for you and, and continues to be an amazing journey for you. I know that a big part of it for you, you posted about it on LinkedIn last week, has been your growth as a speaker and you've put so much time and effort into that and, um, you know, hard work and, and uh, you know, amazing to see your journey of growth on that one. Um, but I was just going to ask you about uh, maybe a couple of things that you, you, and you've touched on a few things that, hamper you or have hampered you on your journey from your own thinking and mindset I guess um but if there was one or two challenges that still can trip you up with your mindset um what are they and and, and how do you handle those oh well in five minutes there we go well, five um, or ten minutes yeah <laughs> <laughs> love it um for me it's uh it's actually something I'm, I'm working on a lot at the moment um which I have a lifelong habit of uh, brushing things under the carpet um, and a lot of uh, lifelong coping mechanisms that I developed from a very, very young age. And what I've realized, uh, I think, again, by being more curious about what's held me back, because, you know, when I look back at what I've achieved throughout my career, I'm like incredibly proud of myself. And, you know, like I, I do celebrate, celebrate those things. But at the same time, I'm also really, really bad for giving myself a really hard time for the things that I wanted to do and haven't yet uh, accomplished or, um, you know, the, the things that I feel like I could have done if I'd have approached it in a different way. Uh, so for me, negative, the negative self-talk is a big one. Um, which, uh, you know, we, we can, we can go into a lot of uh, detail, uh, on a therapist couch with that one, I think. Um, but let's not do that for you. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. But I think it's, it's, I think it's important to acknowledge, um, the, the negative self-talk and, and where it comes from as well. So, you know, a lot of the stuff that I tell myself is really deep rooted and it's deep rooted because I brushed it under the carpet for, you know, over three decades, um, so for me, it's just identifying them. I think in the past, I've always been very good at sort of saying, right, okay, well, actually I can brush it under the carpet and pretend it doesn't exist and just crack on anyway. So a big mantra of, of mine has always been just crack on. Like, you know, I, I come from a family of grafters, people that, you know, have faced hardships and, and things, curveballs and stuff, but you just think, right, okay, well, actually you just got to crack on and get on with it. But I think sometimes if you crack on and get on with it without addressing some of the the, the things yeah. that go on, you can then create that space at a later date where you're like, oh, well, actually, I do need to do some work on that. So, yeah, for me, um, the the negative self-talk and the kind of like, oh, well, you know, you, you could have done this if you were doing that um, has, has always been a big thing uh, for me. And then the other one as well, which is just uh, which is probably why I'm like waxing lyrical about the whole slow down to speed up is feeling like you have to do everything right now <laughs> I see that in you yeah yeah <laughs> I'm really really bad at it and I'm very good at I'm very good at getting lots of stuff done and you know I think I've always been that kind of like you know aimed overachiever or like high achiever and you know always set the bar very high but I think the one thing that I have realized and I struggle to accept even though I've realized it, is that just because my, I mean, you can't see because it's not a video podcast, but just because my bar is so high, um, that doesn't mean that everybody else's bar meets my own. Yeah. Um, and I listened to, uh, I think it was an interview by a guy called Mark Ritson, who's quite a well-known marketing trainer. Um, and he was saying that in the marketing world, the goal is to just not be shit. Um, because there's so much shit out there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so a level above shit sort of. So a level above. So he was just like, as long as you can't be shit, then, you know, you're doing a good job. And I was like listening to this going, I refuse to accept that. That's just ridiculous. But again, being the curious person that I am, I, I really started thinking about this. And I was like, actually, if I think one of the things that has really held me back over the years is I have let the cynicism of my clients and the cynicism of people in my market affect how I approach things. And it has made me cynical. So I was interviewed by a uh, business marketing club podcast a couple of weeks ago. And they asked me, they were like, oh, so at what point did you uh, realize that marketing was your true calling and that, you know, marketing was your, your, your thing? And I said, oh, probably at some point towards the end of last year. <laughs> and they were like, 
what like you've, <laughs> you know you've had your own marketing business for like the last five years what's going on here and I think I I was told as a kid that marketing was a Mickey Mouse subject and uh, engineering was more credible and professional and you know marketers are just out to manipulate and and do all these things and I think even though I've always had an interest in marketing and when I started working in marketing and realized actually I want to stay in this space was because I was like, actually, the companies that do really, really well aren't necessarily the companies that have the best product and service or the best customers, you know, customer approach, or they're not the most ethical. It's the companies that are the best at sales and marketing. So I was like, well, that's not good enough because why shouldn't, again, that word should, or why couldn't businesses that have a real desire to be the best and to strive to be the best, why can't they also be good at sales and marketing and be able to, you know, avoid being the best kept secret in their industry? And I think I made it like a little mission of mine going around, how can I help the companies that I was working with and for, but without addressing that negative self-talk around the fact that all marketers were evil, (laughs) Um, so yeah, I think for me, that's definitely limited me in the past. Uh, it won't be limiting me in the future because I'm very much, yes, I, I am a marketer. I'm really good at what I do. Uh, and I think I realized as well, again, diving into my customer base, that actually a lot of my customers and clients have more marketing qualifications than I do, but that doesn't stop them hiring me because they, they know I can help them. Yeah, and I think it's um, there's, then there's a lot more traits that come in. You know, um, you, you know, I always, always find you an incredibly bright and interesting person, Charlie. And I think, um, you know, the marketing side of it, uh, and it's interesting. It's your belief and your perception about marketing, almost projecting that onto to other people. But I guess if you front foot it, because way, the way you approach marketing uh, to a great extent is quite scientific as well. So you bring in that science in a way to a more scientific, logical approach to marketing. And so I think it's sort of getting on the front foot with things. You know, I often say people who are accountants, then immediately will say, oh, no, it's boring. Um, but I've met, I, I saw one guy as an accountant do the most incredible talk, really interesting. So you've got to get on the front foot with things more. Not you. I mean, I think generally people yeah. have, because it's so easy to get on the back foot um, with whatever you do. And I just wanted to uh, just mention a couple of things around things that you said through that. I think, that negative self-talk and you said understanding where it comes from. And you know that my belief is a lot of it comes from survival instinct because we're continually looking at where we've got gaps, where we might be flawed, where there could be problems. You know, that's that's our thinking is very much driven by that. So I think if we understand that, that can help because, you know, one of the things I try to get across to a lot of people, and you and I, when you've I've done sessions and what have you, is it's normal, you know, it, that's why I dislike the term imposter syndrome because people will think, oh my God, I've got a syndrome. Uh, having moments where you feel, oh God, I'm, I might be found out or I'm not quite good enough for this. I've just been promoted into a position or what have you. It's all normal. And the more we normalize it and understand it, the better we'll get at dealing with it. And, um, and also your point about just cracking on. Uh, I think that's a, a good philosophy but not if your foundation is not solid or more solid. Because I think just cracking on is where it comes from a place of resilience and moving forwards. However, if you just try to crack on from something that is, um, has got cracks in it and it is fragile, then that's the problem. And I guess for you, that's been part of the learning with that, maybe. I think it's, it's uh, what you touched on about resilience, because I used to think that my attitude of crack on and get on with it was one of my biggest superpowers, and one of my biggest strengths. Whereas actually, I think um, tying it into one of my biggest weaknesses is not giving myself enough time to um, slow down to, to speed up. And the, I think the way that I... Um, I can't remember if it came off a result of a a conversation or somebody told it to me this way, but I I found it a really good way of explaining it is that if you imagine that your your mind is just a series of bookshelves and that over the years, you know, your approach is crack on and get on with it. You're just adding more and more books to your bookshelf Um, and you're not necessarily thinking about, right, okay, well, what books have you read or what books have you actioned or or what books do you no longer have need for? And then take those books out of the bookshelf. Um, But instead you keep sort of stacking it on and stacking it on. And then at some point that bookshelf is going to come crashing down or that bookshelf is going to start, you know, weakening its, its foundations and it's going to start going like wobbling. And, you know, it's that like, if it starts to wobble, you can still make repairs. You can take some books out and, you know, it doesn't have to come crashing down. Um, so I think for me that 
analogy was was really helpful to help me sort of slow down speed up. But I think as well, like, you know, you touched on it a few times. It's the fact that we talk on a regular basis, you know, uh, you know, we have conversations like, you know, about obviously marketing and, and things like that. But we also have separate conversations where we just geek out about neuroscience and psychology and things like that. Um, so it's that like, you're, you know, that Jim Rohn quote, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You know, if you spend most of your time with people that share your beliefs that aren't supportive um, or that are more negative in the way that they behave, then that is going to have an effect on you. So you're you're being drained of your energy. Whereas if you spend your time with people that challenge your thinking and people that talk about working on the sort of softer skills and, and working on your attitude and your mindset and your behaviors and your beliefs and things like that, then you're, you know, radiating energy or you're, you're gaining energy that they're radiating towards you. So I think, yeah, for me, it's, it's, you know, environment dictates success, but also choose the people that you're spending the most time with. Um, and that, could be an external person, you know, like yourself, you know, you go in and work with leaders to help them, you know, overcome some of these challenges. But the more you work on those things that hold you back, yes, it might be hard. And I've resisted it for years and years and years. You used to think it was a bit woo-woo and a bit daft, but my God, it's transformative when you do. Yeah, no, I love that. I think there's, there's a couple of things to sort of finish there, you know, that going back to that slowing down to speed up. But then I think to a degree, you, you know, you can't choose certain relationships and family and old friends and, and such like. Uh, however, if it's about, you know, the way you want to move yourself forward, then I think um, opening yourself up to having conversations with people like you said that would challenge you. And um, again, back to your theme of curiosity, I guess, make you more curious and, and, and creative then that all adds uh, enormous value. Hey, Charlie, it's been uh, an amazing uh, journey the last 50 minutes or so. Um, <laughs> we had, we had some, loosely had some questions which we uh, seemed to abandon reasonably quickly and occasionally brought back in. So we just went over it off into lots and lots of really interesting areas and I think it'll be a fascinating listen for people. Now then, before we finish though, um, where's the best place for people to connect with you, find out about you and have, have you got any sort of new things going on that people should know about or not take the word should out would like to know about <laughs> um so uh, it depends on when you're listening to this thing you said it was coming out next tuesday so i am speaking at the lincoln lincoln business expo okay. um uh which is, is quite interesting um and the best best place to connect with me is uh, LinkedIn. It's where I spend the most um, of my time. Uh, I also love Twitter. So I'm a, a bit of an old school uh, social girl like that. So yeah, LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, find out more about me again on my LinkedIn profile. There's pretty much everything on there anyway. Or um, if you go to curiousb2bmarketing.com, um, everything is also on there. There's loads of free resources lots of blogs and things like that as well which is um i think my kind of like key passion is just to sort of like help people avoid a lot of the mistakes i've made a lot of the money that's been lost a lot of the overwhelm and the frustration absolutely when yeah. is the, when is the lincoln business expo it's tuesday the 24th tuesday the 24th okay yeah so people will potentially um miss out on that one um but yeah the uh the curious b2b marketing.com and the thing is you probably pricked people's curiosity talking about otter so they can actually find out <laughs> the other what the other letters because i think you mentioned o and r but they can go off and have a look at your website and find out what the tt and the e are and they'll find out more about otter from that but yes. no, absolutely uh, brilliant to spend time with you charlie so thank you hugely and um well i'll be seeing you tomorrow for a coaching session there you go <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right thanks so charlie Oh, thank you. My pleasure. If you want to explore your leadership mindset in more detail, why not complete our free leadership diagnostic at thetonybrooks.com and subscribe to this podcast to join us for future podcasts.